Hello and welcome to the Minimum Competence episode for Friday, February 17th, 2023. I'm your host for today, Andrew Leahy, a tax and technology attorney from New Jersey. In today's foray into audio of dubious distinction, we talk about the California Fair Political Practices Commission decision on a sweetheart tax deal, the SEC proposing a standard for safe storage of client crypto assets, and the Supreme Court being set to hear a case involving Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Let's begin down the long and winding road towards today's legal news. The California Fair Political Practices Commission has ruled that a lawyer did not violate state conflict of interest rules when he brokered a tax incentive deal between Best Buy and the city of Danuba, which has earned him over $8 million. The commission launched an investigation in 2020 after the Bloomberg tax examination of his role in negotiating the Best Buy deal, as well as similar agreements between several other cities and retailers. The lawyer's actions did not violate state law as he didn't negotiate the agreement in a public capacity for the city and only had an expectation of income after online businesses were recruited to the city of Danuba, which did not occur. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has proposed a standard for the safe storage of client assets entrusted to investment firms. The proposal, which includes cryptocurrencies, could lead to clashes with state regulators that have their own rules for providing custodial services. The SEC aims to impose a singular federal standard on banks and firms following the collapse of several crypto firms that advertise client assets were stored separately from company assets. The proposal requires all custodians to have written agreements with investment advisors that client assets would be properly segregated and protected in the event of bankruptcy or insolvency. Some states, including New York and Wyoming, have their own trust bank charters that allow banks to provide custody services without federal deposit insurance or being a member of the Federal Reserve System. State-chartered banks that do not have FDIC insurance are sometimes referred to as non-FDIC-insured banks or uninsured banks. In the United States, banks are regulated by both state and federal authorities. While all banks must comply with federal laws and regulations, they may choose to obtain their charter from either a state or federal regulator. State-chartered banks that do not have FDIC insurance may do so for a variety of reasons. One possible reason is they may have decided to obtain deposit insurance from a private insurer instead of the FDIC. This is possible because some states allow non-FDIC-insured banks to be chartered as long as they are backed by private insurance. Private insurance can provide the same protection as FDIC insurance theoretically, but it is often more expensive. Another reason why some state-chartered banks do not have FDIC insurance is that they may be targeting a specific market or niche that the FDIC does not cover. For example, some banks may specialize in providing services to high-net-worth individuals or large corporations that may not be fully covered by FDIC insurance limits. It is important to note that while non-FDIC-insured banks may be legal and legitimate, they may not be as secure as FDIC-insured banks. FDIC insurance provides depositors with a level of protection against bank failures and ensures that they will receive their deposits up to the maximum coverage amount in the event of a bank failure. Depositors should carefully consider the risks and benefits of banking with a non-FDIC-insured bank before making a decision. And there are real policy reasons for disfavoring non-FDIC-insured banks. The U.S. Supreme Court is set to hear a major case on the scope of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, which exempts internet companies from legal liability for content posted online by their users. The case involves a lawsuit by the family of Nohemi Gonzalez, a 23-year-old California woman killed by Islamist militants in Paris in 2015 against YouTube owner Google. The family claims that YouTube's algorithms illegally recommended videos by the Islamic State terrorist group to some users. Google has argued that a ruling against the company could change the way the internet works, curtailing free speech and hurting the economy. The case is expected to set a precedent for other lawsuits that could arise against internet companies. Legal experts warn that curtailing Section 230 protections could expose companies to litigation from all directions and lead to a litigation minefield. Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996 was passed by the United States Congress and signed into law by President Bill Clinton. 
The section was originally intended to address the issue of indecent and obscene material on the internet and to provide protections for internet service providers and other online platforms. Before Section 230 was enacted, internet service providers were potentially liable for any content posted by their users, which made it difficult for them to moderate or remove harmful content without risking legal repercussions. Section 230 changed this by providing immunity for online platforms from being held liable for user-generated content. Section 230 protects interactive computer services by ensuring that they cannot be treated as publishers or speakers of information provided by users. Calls from across the political spectrum have urged the reconsideration of Section 230 to ensure that companies can be held accountable. Republican lawmakers argue that platforms stifle conservative viewpoints, while civil rights and gun control groups claim they are fueling extremism and hate speech. A coalition of 26 states argues that social media companies are no longer simply publishers of user content, but actively exploit it. A ruling in favor of the Gonzalez family could set a precedent for lawsuits that target the way platforms moderate content, monetize it, and place advertisements or remove or not remove certain content. Thank you so much for listening to Minimum Competence, your daily news podcast for lawyers. If you're looking for more than minimum competence, links to further reading on all the topics touched on today are in the show notes. If you have any questions or story suggestions, find us on Mastodon on the esq.social instance. I'm at Andrew and Gina is at Gina. Minimum competence is part of the ESQcast network of podcasts and streams on esqstream.com. Catch you back here on Monday, so long as our AI overlords permit Monday to come. 